Good, I guess, good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode four of I Stand By You with Lizette and Drew. I'm Drew. And I'm Lizette. And I am a general pediatrician uh, with a practice including a lot of transgender youth. Um, and what else am I? I am a gay man with a child. And you also do community organizing? I do a little bit of community organizing here and there. Community education on trans issues. That's true. Okay. So technically you're kind of an, like an expert. <laughs> I, I had it once. Someone once told me once I had four patients, I would be an expert. And now you have like 200. And now we have about 200. And um, I feel less like an expert than I ever did because I see how much more there is to learn. Yeah, for sure. And who are you? My name is Lizette <laughs> and I'm a mom. I like to say I'm a mother of a trans child um, and I own a small business. And I also facilitate a local parent support group for parents of transgender, gender nonconforming, gender fluid youth. And um, we have a lot of families and a lot of kids. I that love when you're part of our community. And I love I love when you talk about being coordinator of it because that also includes like we're having breakfast and you get texts from people needing help or yeah. you get phone calls from people needing help for services in other places. Yes. So it's a very big job. It's a big job. It's exciting. Sometimes I get invited to school meetings. That's interesting. <laughs> um, and just lots of phone calls and lots of helping people navigate all the things that kids, trans youth need. So it's fun. It's Neat. an honor. Paying it forward. Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Isn't it wonderful learning 2020? It feels like everything's going to be better now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I was telling Jose that... Um, after that news article came out about all the different kind of legislative proposals that are happening, um, that all of a sudden I was like inundated with like texts and messages and like, what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to organize? Yeah. So, and I'm like, it's only the third day of January. <laughs> yes. The quietness of the holidays is over. Yeah. Yeah. The holidays ended and... We started seeing new opportunities and um, threats um, for our kids and our trans um, friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things going on locally or in this state? So there's a couple of... And we're um, in Arizona. There's a couple propositions. One would be wonderful to add a third gender non-binary option on state documents. Which would be wonderful. It would be a game changer for a lot of non-binary, gender non-conforming folk. And the other one would um, give teachers free reign to decide whether they would use pronoun and name when children are in school, which is a violation of a whole lot of privacy yeah. issues. <laughs> and so that's what's happening locally. What are you seeing nationally? There's a couple that I know uh. we've talked about that are... So my personal national one that um, is in a number of states, um, I believe Georgia is the one that's kind of going to be leading the way on this, mm -hmm. um, to make it illegal uh, for doctors and families to help their kids with transition. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, in some of them, they've said that they would make it a felony for mm-hmm. doctors to prescribe the medications necessary for kids to transition. And the reasoning behind this is um, people are saying these are minors and we shouldn't be doing um, surgeries and irreversible treatments to very young children because that's child abuse. And as you know, I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. We should not be doing irreversible surgeries and medications on very young children. And we don't. Right. Um, any medications we use are older kids and are fully reversible um, until they get quite a bit older. And then they're most of the way reversible. And nothing irreversible happens until people are really either at or close to the age of consent. Yeah. But there are a lot of stories out there. And so that's one of the big ones. Um, You mean you're not giving five-year-olds the surgery? I am not giving five-year-olds the surgery. (laughs) Despite the number of seven-year-old boys who want beards, I am not giving the medications (laughs) to have beards. Um, And I can tell you on the national listservs and groups that I'm in, um, the doctors who are providing this care um, are concerned, but nobody has seen it as a signal that they should stop what they're doing. Right. That we see every day the kids who we're helping and we're not going to back down. And that if we're in jail, hopefully we'll all be next door to each other in in our jail cells and can pass each other notes. (laughs) Plotting how to move Uh, forward. (laughs) And then on the um, hopeful side is I'm sure there will once again be a push um, for what is it called at the national level? The Equality Act, mm-hmm. um, which would get rid of uh, discrimination based on gender and sexual orientation um, in a whole raft of areas, housing, public accommodation, health care, all sorts of things um, yeah. that would be great for people and that has been passed, you know, already by the house this year and hopefully will happen again. I'm excited about, um, we're actually going to be lobbying in February for the Equality Act with the Human Rights Campaign, um, which is exciting. But I'm always really amazed at the at the amount of people who don't realize that there's no protections yeah. at all. I've had tons of discussions with um, cishet people that have no idea that there's only like five protected municipalities in the state of Arizona. Um, and so, yeah, so people think that we've kind of hit this space of progress because yes, culturally we are more accepting, um, but policy wise, we're still so far behind. So it'll be exciting to lobby for the Equality Act, but we'll see if it actually goes through. Yeah. And we're not talking, I mean, and the thing is, is a lot of people like to reduce, who are against equality will reduce this down to usually wedding cakes right, and marriages and things like that. But the truth is it's things like housing, housing, um, a woman marrying her wife and the next day getting fired from her job. Yes. Um, it can be adoption, adoption, parenting, all sorts of different things. And there's moves in healthcare to make it mm-hmm. legal for someone to say they're not going to provide care. And you might say, well, then why don't you just go to a different doctor? But what if it's the front desk person at the emergency room? Yeah. And they don't want to check you in. Yeah. Uh, or 
you know, you need surgery and your local surgeon doesn't want to do some surgery totally unrelated to being LGBT. Right. Um, so, but I think there, there's, there's hope there that we'll get it passed again. Um, I think the other thing when we go into election cycles that we have to remember, um, I mean, I've had, I remember in past election cycles seeing myself being talked about. Mm-hmm. And seeing people at the time before marriage was legal, which wasn't that long ago, talking about how if my husband and I were legally married, it would you know, destroy the fabric of society and it would destroy our child and on and on. And I was an adult and, yeah. that, hurt, and that hurt to see. Um, and I am very concerned um, for the trans people in the U.S., who are going to see an election where they are an issue. Yeah. And people will be talking about them who have never met a trans person, who have never interacted with a trans person, um, and all of a sudden talking about the power they have and how they're destroying society. And, and unfortunately, there are kids who will see that, who will internalize that and believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there will be an adult who's just about to come out and tell people who will go back into the closet because of that and right. you know will use some means of keeping themselves alive so they don't have to think about that um and so i just remember during these times that while you may see something for for cisgender heterosexual people um that you may see something on tv that you're like wow that's absolutely ridiculous and horrible but don't forget to check on your friends who are getting talked about because it's one of the things I've always said is identity politics is only for the people who have that identity. It's just politics. Yeah. And so they're going to see that stuff about themselves. Yeah. That's the one thing I like to remind parents or remind people in general is that is that um, this idea of how painful it can be to see, especially for example, if you're like a new parent that you see your child kind of showing gender variance, right? Or you see that you have a child who potentially could be gay or lesbian and you're seeing it happen on the news and your kid's sitting with you and then it becomes this thing that you feel like you can't talk about yeah. and or support because I find that people are very afraid of what that means to them. And, you know, and then our kids are afraid to share with us. So I agree with you. Check in on those who are being, you know, used as political pawns. What do um, you do? What do you do with your son in um, like screening news or talking to him about the news? I used to shield him from a lot of mm-hmm. things, which was age appropriate. Yeah. So there was a lot that I shielded <laughs> shielded him from. Um, and now that he's older and he has a phone, he can see some of this, and he'll ask me, you know. Mom, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I just have honest conversations with him. I, I tried to have honest, like age appropriate conversations with him, even when he was younger about what it meant to be different, what it meant to be kind. I think I've shared this story with you before, but um, he, there was a child who was disabled in his classroom. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about empathy and what does that mean and how it's different from sympathy and how to be kind to people who are who face different challenges than we do and so i think i think that that made it easier to kind of dive into other conversations about social justice and i also find it interesting that schools don't cover 
some really, I mean, we're living in like a crazy political landscape. I, you would think you could have a lot of powerful discussions about history yeah, and social studies and really kind of dive into that, but they, they don't. I find it interesting that a lot of stuff I'm having to kind of circle back to yeah, with my kid. Yeah. How about you? How do you talk to your child about just different things, like different social justice issues or... Um, we, and since he's even a little bit older, um, we have, and he's grown up with this, um, having, you know, having had a gay dad since he was three, um, he has always, we start doing advocacy with him and, you know, bringing him to marches and meeting people. Um, and so a lot of it with him is just sort of saying, you know, this is what the issues are that are out there. This is what, you know, someone may say to you that um, what we're doing, you know, by being married is wrong or illegal. And um, what they don't realize is most of our life is let's plan after school activities. Who's going to make dinner tonight? <laughs> What's a TV show you should watch? And so talking to him about things like that. Um, but sometimes I also, during this year, I know I'm going to have times I feel overwhelmed yeah. by the issues um, and I won't know what to do. What sort of, what sort of tips do you have for, you know, just some of the basic things people can do during this time? Oh my God, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm bad with the self-care. Um, I don't know. Be informed. I think, Yeah. I think that's the most important it's funny because when you said what are what are things you do with daniel i totally forget that we take him to rallies yeah. and but i also think that daniel you know sometimes i'm driving and i may have a phone call from a family in need and he gets to hear some of that sometimes and i think the one thing that he's told me is that he just feels grateful that we're supportive mm -hmm. i think because i think he feels like that shields out all the other stuff because he does deal with some of it at school. If people find out he's trans and what does that, you know, all yeah. the questions, what does that mean? Um, or like with your child, I'm sure when people would find out he had two dads, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and learning how to navigate what that means. I think what I always try to do is come from a space of being informed. Mm -hmm. I think being informed makes you feel empowered to talk about your issue. Um be in community. Being in community. Find other people. If you are a parent of a trans kid, if you are a trans person, LGBTQ person, find, find. people like you mm -hmm. because they're hurting also and supporting one another can help. And collective information is so helpful. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's another amazing thing about community. Um, and I guess three would be not being afraid to share. Yeah. Because a lot of times you just yeah. got to get it out. You have to share with your friends and your neighbors who might be totally unaware of how you're being impacted. Yes. And I think it's even, and also doing that same thing with like your politicians. Yes. Um, I mean, I think actually I read something this week from um, Amber. Okay. Um, shout out Amber. <laughs> um, about having had the attorney general of Texas at her home for dinner and letting mm -hmm. him meet a family with a trans child. And um, the fact that he now, when he does 
say horrible things, which he does, about legislation related to trans people, he has to have the picture of that child in his head. Mm -hmm. He can't get that out. And so maybe not having someone over for dinner, but if they have a congressperson on the corner thing, ask them a question. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, I, one of the things I look at is I am a cis white, cisgender white man, educated, I'm a doctor. No matter who gets elected to stuff, I'm going to be coming out okay. Right. No matter what. And so I start looking at who are the most marginalized people I know and who are they voting for and what are their issues so that I can start asking questions of politicians who may hear a question from me differently from that person. Right. And I may be able to pierce through some things there. And so trying to be an ally there right. with politics and elections, because even if we don't like it, right. it's what we got and it's what we need to do. So, oh, and don't forget to register to vote. <laughs> Absolutely. Is the cutoff time coming soon? Uh, no, I think we've still got a while in most places. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what do you see from like your community work, from your interactions? What do you see is the most... What, what are people most uh, worried about or or what do they feel like we've made progress in, in the different circles that you're a part of? Um, well, and I think as a medical person, people are most worried about their health insurance and their medicines and do I have coverage for this? Um, and we've made some progress. We have more people covered, but most, a lot of people I know, especially, well, people like yourself, small business owners um, who are just struggling when it comes to health insurance. Um, and then um, in terms of LGBTQ stuff, I think people are seeing there's more and more vis visibility, but we're also seeing the backlash. Yeah. And that's what people are scared about is we're, we're on the razor's edge right now um, where things go either way. Being somebody who was part of ACT UP, <laughs> did you find, I mean, is that just the normal cycle? Where there's more visibility, there's pushback, and then you you create enough momentum to ha to create a higher level of visibility. I think so. I think that definitely is true. I'm trying to think of back when it's so hard. For <laughs> back when, um, like HIV stuff was going on, um, is it when there was the initial people stepping forward? There definitely was a big pushback, um, and that. Um, then eventually things broke through. But even, and we saw immediately after gay marriage happened, there was a pushback of people like, I'm not going to issue marriage licenses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was her name? I can't even remember her name. Um, and things like that happening, and mm -hmm. it's still happening. Um, what about, um, what things are you seeing as like some of the biggest opportunities coming up in, from your, like, from your national stuff you're working on? Well, I will say that socially, we're seeing um, openness. Mm -hmm. More people are saying that they know someone. So proximity is occurring. Good. Um, and we're seeing pushback, clearly. Um, and we're seeing where it was like pushback around bathrooms and pushback around schools. I think because they've lost in those areas, now they're pushing in a more vulnerable personal space. I think that's what makes us scary. Like this idea of making parents felons or our doctors felons, which totally creates um, 
you know, it's been a life changer for our children um, to have those two safety nets. So I think that's scary and it puts all of us in kind of a more vulnerable space. So we've had a lot of national talks around that and what would that look like and if it's real or not. Um, but I will say it's still all the normal stuff, like how to navigate school, how do um, our kids spend like 40% of their lives at school. And so really trying to figure out how to make that a safer place. Um, but I, I do feel like we're in a different space where, where I started watching this British um, series uh -huh. and it's about a trans woman. Um, and what I loved about this series is that like, it's mentioned here and there just in passing, but it's about her life. Like mm -hmm. it's not about her being trans or her coming out as trans. It's like, it's mentioned here and there in like a very kind of, in like, like how we would talk about Daniel, right? right? Or like how Daniel would mention about himself. Yeah. Right. Or they show like little microaggressions that happen in her day to day. And I was like, see, I love this. This is actually a real representation of somebody experiencing their life. Like you're just experiencing yep. her life. It's no different than anyone else's. And you get to see the uncomfortable moments and the funny moments and the heartbreaking moments. And I was talking to Jose about that. Like that's, that's progress. Yes. Right. When yeah. the story doesn't surround the gender identity, but is a full story of somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get, that made me happy last night. I was like, this is awesome. I haven't cool. finished the show, so I won't give any recommendations yet. But, <laughs> um, so today we have Blossom coming on. I'm really excited about this. For those of you who don't know, and I'll do this little kind of intro, I guess. Blossom and I met at the CNN LGBTQ Town Hall. I am part of the Human Rights Campaign Parents for Transgender Equality Council. Um, and Blossom was there as an advocate as well. Um, and we had a moment. Well, it became a Twitter moment. And yes. I don't know how to use Twitter. You became a meme. Did, I did become a meme. <laughs> People were sharing that Taylor Swift Kanye one, like, Awesome. You know, um, so I had to turn Twitter off because I we became a moment and it freaked me out. Um, but we're going to have Blossom on and she's going to share with us her advocacy work, um, share about herself and what CNN, what that night meant for her. Awesome. Um, and so we will. We're excited to have her on. So we're going to have we're going to call her in in a moment. But we just wanted to get this episode started and share kind of what's new in 2020, what we're looking forward. Do you have anything else that you want to share right now before we call Blossom? No, nope. I am looking forward to Blossom. Yay. OK, well, we'll give Blossom a call and get going on this episode four again. <laughs> so we have Blossom on the phone, and we're so excited to have her talk on episode Hi. four of I Stand By You with Lizette and Drew. Blossom, do you want to say hello? Hi, how's everyone doing? It's so exciting to have you on the phone. Yeah, I'm... I know, I'm excited. I'm so 
excited. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, you were one um, of our dream yeah. guests. We were like, we got to call Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you both so much. <laughs> so let's jump right in. Um, I... I actually, I, the moment I knew I wanted you on <laughs> was um, at that CNN HRC forum. Um, I remember watching it and um, I was really excited uh, to see my friend Lizette get up to ask a question. Then the two of you had a moment, which I will let y'all describe yourselves since I wasn't there. But the thing that bothered me is the next morning, um, seeing comments coming up that just played into the same stereotype of an angry black woman pulling the microphone from another angry woman. And it just, it was all, and I was like, you know, first of all, that's not what I saw. Right. And second of all, no one pulls microphones out of my friend Lizette's hands. Um, she has more agency than that. And so I would love to hear what it was like from both of you to be in that room and to be in that moment. And then actually also sort of the aftermath of it, what it felt like. I will also say that people thought Blossom and I planned it, which Ooh. we didn't. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> um, yep. I, I heard that too. I heard that a lot too. Um, I had not met Blossom. Uh, I'll share nope. quickly my perspective was that there was a protest prior um, and I was personally disturbed with the way security had handled that, especially we were talking about protecting uh, trans bodies. Um, it was talked about throughout the forum was violence against trans uh, black trans women or trans women of color. And then you see this protest uh, um, happen and they, the security was rough and violent and I was angry about it. So I sat there for about like two hours just stewing in my seat, um, unhappy with how that had played out. So by the time that it was gonna be my turn to talk, I already knew that I wanted to say something because I felt like we needed to address what had happened. Um, what did you feel, Blossom? Oh, wow. By the time you had gotten up and spoke, I was just like, I was furious because I was checking social media at the time and I was seeing like my black trans siblings, um, you know, talking about the forum and talking about how it, not inclusive it really was. Mm -hmm. Not one single black trans person had gotten up and take the mic. And one thing about it was coming there, I knew my question didn't get selected. So I was just excited that some of my siblings' questions uh, probably got selected and we'll be able to ask the question. So I was just there in good spirit, just excited to be there in the moment. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign has been a part of my life for almost five years now. Um, that's how I even got the platform that I even got because of them. And so, you know, just being excited and being there in the moment. And by the time you had taken the mic, I was just like, you know, I had tweeted some stuff on Twitter. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And what happened was, I saw the opportunity that you were trying to elevate us, that you were trying to to bring us into the room. I, I, I saw that moment, and, and a couple other people before you had done it as well, and so that was also kind of like amping me up a little bit, but then it was just like, I closed my eyes and something just came over me and was just like, you need to do this. And so 
you know, I got up and I was just like, you know, I don't want to take this mic away from you. And then I just kind of talked about a powerful message that was happening in our country that we don't want to discuss. That black trans women are being killed at such alarming rates. Um, You know, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to be like mean or nasty to anyone like that because I feel like me and Don Lemon still should have a conversation on why (laughs) I feel like... Don Lemon Lemon made me a little upset, but I will Mm -hmm. say that before you even stood up, I heard you Uh say something behind me. And I remember looking back at you... And you and I locked eyes and I saw you get up. So like what people don't realize is that you and I were having a silent communication. Yeah. (laughs) And you walked up to me and I gave you the mic because I was like, yes, no, this is your time. Like you use this time. Um, Yeah. yeah, Don Don Lemon. It would be great for all of us to sit together with Don Lemon, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And see what it was. What people don't understand was it happened kind of fast, like you handed it to me fast, and only one camera, it was like one one camera angle caught that, the other one made it seem like I snatched. Yeah. And that's what it was. And I think the one that made it look like I snatched was the one that they used the most. But then <laughs> when they saw the other angle of it, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah she gave it to her. Yeah. yeah, and so it's just like, you know, and, and, I, and I kid you not, like I had no idea who Lizette was. Yeah. I had no idea who she or her son was. Like, I didn't even know her son was trans. Like, I, I kid you not. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how I found out. After everything happened, I went home and I Googled Lizette. <laughs> I Googled you. I kid you not. I Googled you. And then that's when I found out about the work that you do with HRC. And I was like, oh, my God, she's already family. And I didn't even know it. Yeah. I didn't know it. So it was just like, my heart just like. It, it was just like dropped because I was just like, oh my God, like it makes so much sense. Of course, of course, Lizette would give the microphone because that's who she is. She's about the work. You know, she's the mother of, uh, of, of a trans son. Like she understands the struggle and those that are making a way for, for the younger generation to come up and, and be pow- just as powerful as what we are. That's how that cycle goes. And so I found that out afterwards. And for me that night, I kid you not, I just was, I was crying so much. Because see, this is what the cameras don't catch. Mm-hmm. Um, after I did what, what I did and I gave the microphone back to Lizette, you know, I went outside, I hid behind a wall and I just started crying, crying, crying. Because in an LGBTQ dot, dot, dot space, the T still had to fight to be heard. Yeah, and yeah. that's a problem we're not talking about within our own community. If we want to hold hetero, just normative folks accountable for the way that they treat our community, we need to start holding some of our very own accountable as well, too. Right. Because as others cheered for what was going on, there was part of the room that was silent, that was complicit, and that are part of the problem as well, too. And so we got to start addressing that and you know, Alfonso, um, who's president of the Human Rights Campaign, was one of the first ones to come over there and just, and, 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 you know, and just talk to me along with, like, some of the other members of the HRC family, then Lizette and Deb, and everyone came over. It was just, you know, I was just, I felt so bad because I didn't mean to take that moment away from you. Like, that was never my intention. So I was feeling really bad about that. And, but I was just like, you know, I just had to say something because, 
no one was willing to talk about it. People were trying to elevate the conversation to get it out there, but no one would actually talk about it. Right. They just yeah. wouldn't. And so, you know, that moment changed my life forever. It really, really did. And, you know, now I feel like I have even more family in, like, Lizette, um, and her husband and her son. And so that's just, that's really powerful to me. Like, I would never forget that moment because it changed my life and it changed so many people's lives. It opened Pandora's box. Like, mm. it opened the door for much more conversations. I kid y'all not, I did a workshop for HRC um, back in, what was it, November? Okay. And... I, um, it's funny because they played the CNN video, um, so basically it was this workshop to black LGBT students to attend HBCU, and my workshop was focusing on how to be better acquainted with black trans people, right. especially in college, because I was someone who did uh, graduate from college, um, and it was very difficult being a black trans woman on campus, and so I was able to teach those students about the black trans experience and what, uh, what more needs to be done, especially while attending HBCUs, which are historically black colleges. Right. And after, and after they played the video, I used what you did as a good example of what an accomplice looks like. Mm -hmm. Because we gotta kinda get away from this, this word of being just an ally, because people can say they're an ally all the time, but their actions don't always speak with those words. And I like to use accomplice, especially you. I like to use you as, a, as the best example of what an accomplice looks like because you're willing to bring people into the space and let their voices be heard. And you support that. That's what we need more of. When you see, if you have privilege, if you have access, and you see someone who is a little bit more disenfranchised than you, and you know they have a voice, you know that their presence needs, their presence needs to be heard and soft, help them and i feel like you were the best at doing that and what i when i use you as an example to like uh the people that i go out and teach they're like oh my gosh you're so right like you're right that's how that's supposed to work that's how that's supposed to work and so you know it, it's been really really a positive experience even though conservative media drags for films and all these rumors came out or whatnot i feel like it really did have a great impact on what we were trying to say. And I just love seeing all the opportunities for um, activism and advocacy you've taken okay. on because I feel like after that moment, I mean, I love the video my husband took because after that moment, you and I hugged each other. And as yeah. soon as it broke <laughs> to commercial, I remember going to the back, um, to the snack area to find you. Um, and you and I hugging again. And yeah. I, I feel like... I feel like that, I, I feel like for me, my question was not as important, right? Like it's important yeah. for our kids, yes, but it's not, like your, what, what we're seeing with violence against uh, trans women of color, the uptick in violence, the continual violence um, uh -huh. that we've seen for decades, um, needs to be remedied. We need to all work together in community to change this, yeah. uh, to shield women from this kind of violence. And so I uh -huh. feel like everyone kept touching on it, but yet like we weren't doing enough to bring voice to that. And so I just appreciated you so much that night. I thought you were so brave. And I think that in the work that we do, 
it's okay to make people uncomfortable because we're uh-huh. uncomfortable. I don't think anybody goes, I can't wait to challenge Don Lemon, Don Lemon and make him super mad. Uh-huh. Um, but in order to create change, sometimes that discomfort will lead to awareness. And I feel like it was the perfect moment. And I was yeah. really upset with the cutaways because I rewatched it when I got home. And I was like, see, they're not showing the full story of what we were experiencing yeah. on the floor. And so I think that it was a given that somebody needed to stand up. And I'm glad you stood up and you said something. Thank you. And I really appreciate it. I would say the one thing that I wish I would have done differently was when I had the mic that I would have given notice to the black trans people that were in the room. I would have asked them just to come up there and to stand with me just oh, so yeah. the nation could see that we were there. Yes. I really, that was the one thing, but you know, when, when, when a show is live, yeah. you like, everything happens yeah. so fast, you know, like you're not really thinking or whatnot, but I wish, in that moment, I had done that. Yeah. That's how it was the power of us just being there. But you know what, though? If, I'm quite sure that if another opportunity were to come around that would that was be a lot less what happened there, I would make sure I stand and bring my community with me because, you know, that's part of, like, why I do what I do. Yeah. To help other people. And so, you know, I, I think it's just wonderful. And, you know, going back to, like, uh, you know, just being an activist or, or just being like a trans person in general, you know, we're laying down the foundation for, for, for people like your son. Yeah. We're laying yes. down that foundation yeah. and we're, we're making way for them, this next generation of trans folks that are coming up, building them up and really setting them up for success yes. and what they're able to bring, you know, like it's a cycle it's a cycle and so I feel like because I went home and I unpacked all of this and that's why I was just like you know Lizette gets it yeah she gets it and she knows how the world will treat her son how the world already is trying to treat her son mm-hmm. but you know when you have a mama bear like you because see now I think of you I think of the Jodies I think of the Debs I think of the Jeanettes, like, all of y'all are always in my mind and in my sphere because it's like, you know, like, y'all get it. Y'all are the perfect example of, of, of parents, of mothers who really, really love and embrace all of their children. Qualities, like, you embrace and you love on them. And, you know, it's unfortunate that in this world, which we don't talk enough about, you know, a lot of LGBTQ youth are not accepted by families. And yeah, so, right. you know, especially being trans, especially mm-hmm. for being trans. And so a lot of times you find trans youth out there trying to find the world on their own. And so, you know, that's why I give praise to people like you, Lizette, for, for being so brave and, and, you know, you and your husband for being so brave and, and really, really embracing who your son is. I love that. I really, really love that. And, you know, he seems happy. And I, I love seeing that. I love seeing trans youth happy and yeah. really being able yeah. to see who they are. Like, you know, I only can see things through, like, social media. But I can. But when I see it, it's just like, oh, my God, I love that. And I'm just, oh, it's just so humbling to be in your presence. I thank you so much for everything that you've done. I don't think, because it, it's better than what we're making it seem. I'll be honest with you, especially for my community. My community was just so proud to see that. Especially when I posted a picture on Instagram, they were just like, wow, yes, 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 yes. And that's how you, that's how you do it. That's what an accomplished ship looks like. 
that's the that's the real deal right there. And so for the world to be able to see that, I'm truly happy about that. Oh, you're giving oh. me too much credit. I do tell Dr. Oh. <laughs> I tell Dr. Cronin that I hope that there comes a time when parents like us who just love our kids, where it's not seen as something brave, or even it, as trans people come out, people that not being seen as brave, right? Like we should yeah. be yeah. allowed to live in our fullness, and 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 for that to be the the norm, not the other way of like living in fear and or hiding or having to deal with violence and discrimination. What would you say are, what are some of the big moments that you had towards the end of the year? You've been on a couple panels, you have more okay. advocacy opportunities coming up. What do you, what do you feel like 2020 will bring in terms of giving voice and visibility to what is happening with uh, trans women of color? I think we're going to start showing up in places that we've never showed up before. I think for me personally, I'm kind of going, I'm kind of like I'm, I'm shedding. I feel like, you know, <laughs> you know, leaving a whole decade of, of what I've gone through. Because at, at the beginning of the decade, I remember like, um, I was going to college. I had just started, uh, you know, going to college, and that's when the whole issue of nursing school, we being discriminated against uh, for being trans, trying to get a nursing school started, and you know, looking at the journey of like meeting HRC, and then the platform start building, and then you know, up until 2019 when everything happened, and for 2020 in the new decade, you know, I want those things to continue. I want us to continue to have our voices put out there. I want us to really show up in spaces where we've never been. Uh, able to show up before. I believe that the trans community is strong, resilient, and I think that this is the beginning of the decade and the beginning of the year that that will happen. I would love to see us, in, you know, doing things that we should be doing, whether it's acting, producing, um, if you're a music artist, activist, uh, running your own nonprofit, whatever that looks like. I want us to see. I want to see us all rise together, and for us to really, really just start showing up in places where we never. And, uh, have been, you know, shake the table a little bit. That's fine. Yeah. Let people remind people that we've been here since the beginning of time and we will be here to the end of time. You know, being able to do that is just something that I think that I see for us. And as far as like black trans women, I think this will be a powerful year for us as far as our visibility is concerned. And, you know, it's already sad that on the first day of, uh, of the new year, you know, a trans life was lost and they weren't black, they weren't black, but um, for them to be a trans masculine person, you know, yeah. that, you know, we got to also start having conversations about the killings and, and the violence that trans masculine individuals face as yeah. well, too, you know. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a, comp I feel like it's not a competition. Like we can all sit at this table and really, really start having conversations about uh, the different groups of, of people within the trans community that it does affect. Um, it just so happened that last year it affected more black trans people and, you know, a lot of people, you know, it was really good to open up that conversation, but also, unfortunately, um, a lot of things such as anti-blackness, anti-transness did show, unfortunately, but you know what, though? It is what it is, and how do we combat that? Like, how do we conquer that? Yeah. You know, are we going to call people to the table and hold them accountable for their actions and their way of thinking? Mm -hmm. Are we going to help them change their way of thinking? You know, what is what are we going to put our energy to? Yeah. I've learned and one thing. I'm, and one thing I will say about this, like if I see like news articles about like 
uh, transphobic, you know, people saying transphobic things, doing this, doing that, or whatever. I'm looking at it like this. Okay, what am I willing to put my energy into? Because number one, they don't get it to begin with, obviously. Mm-hmm. They don't get it to begin with. And, you know, I feel like with a lot of these people, they've been called into the room so many times to talk about their problematic behavior. They don't listen. And now the only way that you can actually get to them is just by like actually calling them to the, the carpet, basically, calling them out. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the thing is, if they don't get it after that, why are we wasting our time and energy with this person? You know, we got to get past it. We got to save our energy for this administration that wants to completely erase us. Yes. Some of these people, some of these people that are in between are so irrelevant. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up in them just a little bit. Some of us. And that's not to say we shouldn't hold them accountable and give them a pass. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we got to get to the point, especially for 2020 and dealing with this administration, like who's going to represent us the best way? Who's going to really, really represent us? Like they need to hear our voices. They need to hear our voices somehow. And so what I'm hoping is if we don't get this forum, because the way things are looking right now, like these candidates are dropping out so fast and, you know, we're putting out, before we start putting out work, we, we want to make sure that a lot of our work don't die with these candidates as they yeah. drop out. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the things, you know, to also think about. So I will say trying to plan this, strategically plan this, um, is a little difficult. But, you know, we can always do a call to action. Right. A call to act, a powerful call to action for these candidates and for those that really, really want to represent us. And so, you know, 2020 is going to look like an abundant year. And so I, I truly, truly believe that our community will rise. Our voice will rise. But we just got to continue to be willing to do the work and keep going. I love I, I, I love feel. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I also love that you said it isn't a competition because I feel yes. like. I feel like a lot of times, especially me as like a brown woman, right? Like mm-hmm. when you start talking about bias and discrimination, people want to say, well, well, I face discrimination or I face bias. And a lot of times we just need to listen, right? To just listen to the mm-hmm. other's experience. Cause you're right, it's not a competition. Um, I always like to say we're rowing in different boats, but in the same direction. And how do we link our boats so that we can go over the large waves faster, right? And yeah. um, and so I find that sometimes conversations, regardless of how intersectional they become, that gets lost on who is the most marginalized, right? But I also mm-hmm. feel like if we can make it safer for the most marginalized, we lift all boats, right? Yeah. And so yeah. always coming from that lens of, of, you're right, it isn't a competition, but some people are more impacted than others. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest about that and to say, how can I be of service, I think is where the most important thing that an ally or, or an accomplice can do is how, how do I help get you there without making it about myself? I find that a lot of conversations that I have when I go do trainings or I'm on panels, are people trying, and I think it's a form of trying to get to empathy. How can I relate to something? But but then people miss the point if they try too hard in trying to find how they relate. They miss the empathy part of how to connect 
and how to help. What are ways when you have, now that you have a bigger platform, what are ways in which you are helping uh, or that you find are helpful in helping people relate or gain empathy and want to join in creating change? Like, are you finding more and more people willing to say, I want to help, I want to connect with community, I want to be an ally? Are you finding that more? Have you found things that work? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny how the power of social media can really, really influence people. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, people deem me as an influencer and that's fine. But if, as long as I'm able to give you a message and you're able to receive the message, I'm totally fine with that. Um, I will say it has opened up so many more doors of conversations. And I found myself going into spaces I've never had before. Um, like recently, I got asked to uh, speak at this conference that's coming up next month in February. So, um Pardon me. Um, so yeah, so you know, to talk about like black trans women, the violence, and what's happening in our world, and so that's really good to hear because that's going to be a new audience who doesn't really know about the lives, how lives of black trans women are impacted Can I by ask things what? such as violence. Can I ask and what so conference uh, you're going to be at? Yeah, so it's going to be. Uh, oh God, it's in Vegas. It's supposed to be in Vegas. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, we're still kind of like working on some of like the logistics right. stuff, making sure everything's set. But it's going to be in Vegas. Um, and it's supposed to be, I'm trying to think, I think it's going to be a lot of LGBTQ younger folks there, I think. I have to go back and check, but yeah, it's going to be, but, but it, it's going to be a conference uh, for sure, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, because it's just opening up so many more doors. It's just really, really opening up, and I, I'm really, really happy about that. And, you know, I'm also in the entertainment business as well, too, so acting and producing and writing. You know, I kind of want to start telling more of the stories in my writing. This is the first year I'm going to start writing. And so, you know, being able to put activism into some of these characters and, yeah. and be able to create a world, that's going to be very different and it's going to be really really good and I hope people really really see it I'm going to be trying multiple different ways to get the message out there and so you know it's just I, I think I'm, I'm so in awe sometimes because it's really hitting the, um, the heterosis community as yeah. far as like this conversation and I'm so happy about that because there are so many people who have inboxed me who wrote me saying that they want to be an ally or better yet an accomplice. They want to help. They want to learn how they can be more supportive. And for me to be able to have those conversations with them to show them how they can be better is truly, truly inspiring to my heart uh, because this is what we need in the world. We need to heal. We need to heal. And, you know, we're not in competition with each other. We don't have to compare ourselves to each other. You know, everybody here has purpose. They have purpose in their life. And you never have to choose between the purpose that is meant for you. You never have to. And I feel like a part of this is really, really my purpose because, you know, there are people, I I feel so blessed. I feel blessed. I feel privileged. Even though I'm still in a disenfranchised community, I feel blessed and privileged because I do have a platform to be able to help other people who don't. Right. Um, You know, yes, everybody has a voice. But not everyone knows how to use it or sure when to use it. And, you know, I want to empower them to be able to use their voice. You know, I'm not the only one. I don't want to be the only one. I want to be able to bring people into their power as well, too, especially for our community. And so 
that's kind of like my mission for 2020. You know, help people get into their power, um, continue to speak out on issues that, that plague our community. And, you know, and, and not just black trans people. You know, I, I want to talk about the entire trans community because we are the most disenfranchised. We are also the most, we are also the most group that is picked on by this Trump administration. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. we are the most resilient. We are the strongest. We're given the toughest journey because we're able to survive. We are resilient. They can twist us. They can bend us, but they can never break us. That's just how we are. And I, I truly believe that everyone who is trans identified is so wonderful. They're, they're, they're powerful. And I see the essence of them. I see the essence of our community. And I feel like that, you know, alignment is perfect because people will come and align themselves with us, standing in solidarity to help us get to where we need to get to. And, you know, I, 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 I'm so grateful that to be on the phone here with you, Lizette, and you, Drew, because I think y'all are part of that change. You are both definitely a part of that change. And hopefully when people hear this, they, they can see that they need to be more a part of the change, of the evolution, of, of what's happening in our world and in our community right now. And so, you know, hopefully this will lead to more people wanting to get more involved. And so that's what I'm really hoping for 2020. Okay. Oh, this is Drew. I have a question, which I, I listening to this has just been amazing for me. Um, so I am wondering, when I picture that town hall again, first of all, I really hope that you don't have to call everyone forward because I hope all of the um, white men and it was, oh, I ran the statistics on that and it was something like 30% of the questions were white men. Um, I would hope that everyone would be handing you their microphones because, or handing someone their microphone because I think if person after person passed their microphone to someone who was more marginalized than them, it would be an incredible act. Um, but most of us won't have that opportunity. I know for me, I, um, for example, I, st- I have stopped doing talks where a trans person or a parent of a trans child isn't invited. Um, because I feel like I can speak about medicine, but not about lives. And I'm wondering, what do you see as some good ways to bring in, oh, my people, my gay, the gay white men, who I am sure, I am sure there is more than once that you're saying they're just shaking your head and thinking, come on, guys, there's just a little bit you could do here. What do you, what do you see there? How can I get my guys to come in? Hold them accountable. Start holding them accountable. Actually call it out. Whenever you see transphobia, uh, racism, the isms, I like to call them, call it out. Mm-hmm. Hold them accountable. And let me tell you something. And I th- thank you so much, Drew, for clarifying that you're a gay white man. <laughs> I love that, actually, because, you know, it's an important conversation that we have because the thing is, even when it comes to funding of HIV, because, again, I'm also in the field of HIV as well, too, and in public health, mm-hmm. a lot of the funding always goes to them first, and whatever's left over is dispersed among other uh, communities. Yeah. And the thing is, I feel like gay white men have the most privilege. They have a big uh, insight into privilege. And so it's, it's like, you know, how can I bring them to the table? There are some that do. There are some in my life that have done that, who I'm always so grateful for. Uh, one person in particular I will name right quick is Jeff O, who is the president of E. 
she was the whole reason why I ended up on I Am Kate with Caitlyn Jenner to even share my story. Because he heard me speak on a national stage at the uh, Human Rights Campaign National Dinner. And, you know, him and his husband, who's also a gay white man, um, <laughs> have been so supportive. Who've been so, they've been so supportive to me in my life and, and what I've been able to accomplish. And I'm forever humbly grateful to them. They're very dear good friends of mine. I love them dearly. And, you know, I think Jerry is a perfect example of really, really wanting to help those that are disenfranchised. So let me tell you something, Drew. I, you know, hold them accountable okay. to do better. We, you know, you got to start having those conversations, those uncomfortable conversations yeah. with those that are benefiting. Yeah. You just got to do that. And I, and I love it that you're part of the solution and not the problem. I freaking love that. And I think it's so powerful that you speak on medicine, that you're able to share what you see, that actually you are a witness to what you see. I love that. And we need more people like you who are definitely accomplices. I like to use accomplice. I don't even like to say ally because I feel like ally is just um, a vague term because a lot of people don't practice allyship like they should. Accomplice sounds more fun, too. And not just that, too, but it's it's the reason why I wanted to, why we wanted to call the podcast I Stand By You, because it's it's one thing for people to be an accomplice, and it's another thing to to stand by someone and walk beside them or walk behind them when they need you to, right? And so. And so I just find it so important to be to be an active ally. That's what I say. I always tell people to be an ally is a verb. You have to take action. You have to participate in change. And it's uncomfortable, but it's worth everything. I find my life has grown, has changed and I've grown as a person doing this work and meeting people and hearing people's experiences. Like I, I'm a better person because of you and because of Drew and all these amazing people that have been a part of mine and Daniel's journey. You mentioned that you were on season two of I Am Kate. What was that like? Because there was a lot of controversy <laughs> about that, right? Like her yeah, kind of... It was, yeah, it was season one. It was oh, season, season one. one. And, um, it's, ironically, it was my last semester of college. Um, yeah, <coughs> pardon me. So what happened was... Um, the Human Rights Campaign. So I, I went to this conference in D.C., um, and this AAUW conference, uh, this women's conference that I got from my college. And, you know, the main office is in, is in D.C., the main headquarters. And so um, Jay Brown, who I love so much, um, he's like a dad to me, uh, actually came to me uh, with, this cover, with this idea of, of, of me and a couple of other trans women of color actually going to California to talk to Caitlin about our experience as trans people. Um, this was really right after Diane Fora had did her interview with Caitlin, and she had kind of talked about her experience. And, you know, I was asked my opinion about what I thought of her. And honestly, I gave more of a neutral perspective. I'm just like, you know, I'm really happy for her to be able to live her truth. Um, I just don't think that she's able to see the experiences of what those that are a lot more disenfranchised than her right. yeah. is. I don't think she understands what that experience is. And so uh, it was me. So what happened was like the following weekend, me and a couple of other trans people, which included Angelica Ross, who we now know on Pose and America Horror Story, um, along with some other um, amazing folks. We flew out to California, San Francisco to be exact, and we went to the HRC stores there. And we all sat down and we had a conversation with Caitlin. You know, she came in with Shandy, who I love so much, uh, the amazing Candace Kane, yeah. Boyland, 
and Richard, like, you know, and they're still like family to me. I love them dearly. Like, we literally sat down and we had the conversation with Caitlin. Um, you know, I, I kind of talked about, like, how, you know, Ellen DeGeneres was one of my biggest inspirations growing up. And I remember hearing her story of just coming out and how touched I was by it. And, you know, how she was when uh, Matthew Shepard's parents um, lost Matthew. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, seeing all of that and, it was just so powerful, and um, I was actually surprised with the whole Ellen thing, um, to be honest with you. I didn't know until the, the episode actually premiered that the next month I was going to be on Ellen. So sure enough, they flew me out to uh, California uh, the next month, and uh, filmed Ellen, and, you know, it was so powerful. And I, I will never forget that moment because that was someone I wanted to meet. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to YouTube this. I didn't even know you were on Ellen. We were just talking this morning. That's one of our life goals for the two of us. We want to meet Ellen too. Yeah, I love it. Episode 1 of season 14. I'm going to put it out in the universe. I want to meet Oprah. Oh, yes, I would love to meet. And it's so funny because me and Oprah are actually from, we're both from Mississippi. Yeah. We're both from Mississippi. And I've never met her. I know her. She's from Kaziesto, Mississippi. And I was born in Greenwood, Mississippi, which is a little bit more northern than what she was. So about probably like an hour, 30 minutes. But, um, but yeah, it's just, well, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you're speaking to the universe, the universe will bless you. Do you, do you find that, do you find that, um, because I will say, I'll say, I will say that I Am Kate um, was one of the first shows that Daniel actually saw on TV where he asked, yeah, where he asked, um, he said, you can do that because he asked what the show was about. And I said, well, Caitlyn Jenner um, is transgender. And I remember we had like this short conversation about it. And he told me, you can do that. And I said, well, yes, you can. Yes, there are people who are transgender and this is what this means. And so I feel like um, for as controversial as she is, but I I think it just comes from like, from a, a gap in her experience. I find everything in life Absolutely. is so experiential, right? Yeah. If you don't experience yeah. it, you can't really understand it until you put yourself next to other people to learn. But um, I will say that that level of visibility, and this is funny that it's full circle because you were a part of that. And mm-hmm. to see that that level of visibility allowed for more conversation with people about what it meant to be trans. And I'm sure that my kid wasn't the only kid to watch the show and say, oh, that's me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't come out and say that at that time. I think it was just sort of the seed, right? That like, that that sits there for a while. Um, Yeah, because when did, when did he come out? Because how old is Daniel? He's 12. So I saw, Dr. Cronin laughs because he's, he was. That's that's a very hard to pinpoint a date on that one. Um, What I will say is that we saw things from age two. Um, We saw things from age two. And my husband and I had lots of conversations over the years about what we were seeing. And it wasn't until he was eight and his friend was referring to him as him. Um, that then we got in the car and I said, Daniel, is this, is this how you see yourself? And he said, I know my body's wrong, but in my mind and in my insides, I'm a boy. Um, and so 
after that, my husband and I were like, okay, this is, this is happening and we're going to support him. And so that's how that happened. But he was eight years old when he told us, and he'll tell you that it wasn't early enough. Cause I think he meets children. Well, I don't think he does meet children yeah. who are like four and five that um, were able to kind of verbalize that. But Daniel didn't verbalize these things to us. He showed us, he like left us like, it was like a puzzle. I was trying to figure it all out. Looking at it in retrospect, I mean, he tells great stories about the hints he was leaving oh, yeah. along the way that you then talk to other parents about with, you know, look, look for those things that you just kind of pass over as, huh, I wonder what that is, and actually take them seriously. Yeah. And we were talking about, too, like, uh, when he started kindergarten, he would come home and cry, and just cry and cry. And he told us, you know, that he had a secret. And we were terrified. We were like, what is the secret? Um, and clearly, it was all the gender things that he was dealing with. Um, because all of a sudden, he was in kindergarten, and he was being separated and being put with the girls, and he didn't see himself that way. So um, it's been a journey, and he says he wished he would have told us at like four, but I think he did. He just did it in nonverbal ways. Um, uh -huh. And it just took mom a while to catch up. But now, I think now we see that we're in such a, a great place. What I will say too is that um, when I was asked to join the Parents for Trans Equality Council, I asked them like, are you sure you want me on here? Because I do background work. I feel very comfortable sitting in the background, helping parents. I don't like being in the news. And when you and I had our, our CNN moment, I loved that you maximized. Like we were in Teen Vogue, we were on the route. Yes. And I was like, this is all blossom because I would never have tried to contact any <laughs> publications or tried to put it out there. I think I turned off the Twitter for a while because I mean, it went, it blew up in such yeah. a way that I think I was not ready for, but it was a beautiful thing. But I was like, Blossom, yeah. work it. Because yeah, I would have never I, done I that. Sure, <laughs> I made sure I said your name specifically. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correct. Like, I just, oh, I, no, I yeah. wanted to make sure, like, you got the credit. I wanted to make sure because, you know, like, that's because you were so deserving of it. Like, you know, that. That's, I, that's what the nation needed to see. The nation needed to see that moment. And I'm so glad that they did. And, you know, there were one or two um, news articles that were trying to, that were trying to be a little messy. And so I had to kind of like really, really watch them and really, really be like, look, no, no. There were a couple of people I was a little, a couple of um, news articles I was disappointed in, but there were definitely uh, several that got it right. And I was just, you know, I was just, it, it was just so powerful. It was so much power in it. And, you know, I was telling um, the other people that protested, like Ben Salcedo, Maria Roman, and Michelle Polito, uh, who are actually wonderful activists um, who work for the trans Latino Coalition here in Los Angeles. Yeah, yes. uh, They were the trans people that actually waved the flag. Um, I was so know. moved by their, pro and it made sense. It made yeah. sense why they were doing it in the space that they did it. Um, Absolutely. I feel like people were like, this is random. Why would they? But it was Pete Buttigieg, Anderson Cooper. We were talking about white gay men and okay. the platform and the power and the privilege that they have. And for the Trans Latina Coalition to stand up and say, notice us, look at us. Mm -hmm. This is necessary. There was also 
some anti-blackness that had occurred in Pete Buttigieg's area and uh, as mayor, and he had missteps clearly in how he dealt with that. Um, okay. And so I feel like for me, when I was watching it, it made sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, this makes sense. And this is his opportunity to address that. But security stepped in so fast mm-hmm. that, you know, it was just frustrating. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to give a little bit of background. No, 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 no. Please finish, please no, finish absolutely. that. You're totally right. You're totally right. And, you know, what I'm understanding was, um, and I found this out later, had I not protested, CNN did not select one black trans woman to have a question with. Yeah. I found that out later on. No one would tell me right then, but I got the phone call and somebody told me, like, had I not done that? But then that's when they started, like, looking for people, um, <laughs> you know, to kind of, like, stick up their, you know, which was which was crazy to me. Mm-hmm. It was really, really crazy because, and that's why I really called out CNN. Like, I, I because being with HRC for almost five years, I know how they operate. Yeah. I know how they do things. Um, I actually got invited twice to that uh, forum. Kamala Harris team invited me, and HRC gave me a, a, uh, a ticket as well, too. Mm-hmm. I took HRC's ticket because it, uh, it was on the bottom row. Right. But, I wanted to, but I wanted to bring uh, my Muslim trans sister on uh, mm-hmm. to give her like Kamala, the ticket that Kamala had given to me. And uh, CNN said no. CNN was like, nope, can't do that. It's not happening. And so there I am with two tickets. And so it's just like, you know, HRC would have never let that happen. The HRC would have been like, come on in, that's fine. And not only like, that. that I, Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. And not only that, but Alfonso David went and spoke to the Trans Latino Coalition. Like he made sure that they were not removed from the area. Um, I think he stepped in and handled it really well. So it was, I felt better about that, knowing that he was doing the work necessary to make sure that everybody was safe and included and still there. You know? And who was this? I'm sorry, who was this? Alfonso David. When he, when oh, he, Alfonso. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Alfonso is amazing. Yeah. And that made me feel better. Like, okay, here is our new president. He's stepping in. He's taking care of it. And obviously Jody, right? She's going to be. Absolutely. She's going to make sure that it's not messy. We're we're coming towards the end of this. So I wanted to ask the question that I told you I was going to ask earlier. But who inspires you? Honestly, Every single soul that is in the trans community right now, today, I'll be honest with you, it's my community. You know, I see the gifts that we're able to bring. I see the courage that we have, um, you know, the bravery that we have to stand up and live our truth every single day. So this is just our life. You know, people call us, it's something like what you said earlier, you know, people call us brave and that's fine, but we're just living our truth. Yeah. Because we deserve to be here. And I think it's my trans community, you know, my, my trans community that includes uh, gender non-conforming folks, you know, binary folks, non-binary folks, however you identify. Some folks who don't even like to even uh, keep themselves with gender and, and, and sexual orientation. Like, you know, everybody that's under, like, the trans umbrella is what really inspires me because, you know, I do the work I do so my community can, so my community can be better at what they do. Yeah. Um, I really, really do that. And so, you know, if I'm able to help heal my community in any way possible, you know, that that's what means the world to me at this point. Uh, and, and, you know, for and also, strict 
strengthening relationships with accomplices and having more accomplices uh, around me also. That's also inspirational as well, too, because, see, the thing is, if I want people to be an accomplice to me, I got to make sure I'm an accomplice to them as well, too. And so for me, it's about listening to other disenfranchised people, seeing what they need, and also being an accomplice to them to help them get what they uh, need as well, too. And so, yeah, it's, it's my community. It's my community that I think is my biggest inspiration. And, you know, I want to keep going and fight for them. I love that. Drew, do you have an inspiration this time for episode four? You know, I'm going to tell you my big inspiration in this past week um, were the kids um, who this week, I, there was one kid who started on blockers, another one who started on estrogen, and they were there with their parents. And the passion their parents speak of their support for their kids and the remarkable kids who I got to see who had advocated for themselves in ways that kids should never have to advocate for themselves just blows me away. I don't know at this age if I could do the level of self-advocacy and being true to themselves that these kids do. And it just every day keeps me going. How about you? Um, my inspiration is Blossom. I just appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you creating a, a space for visibility. And I appreciate that you're willing to use your voice. And sometimes, you know, you put yourself in unsafe situations, like all those stupid articles that came out this week really... Um, where they were misgendering you and being really hateful. I think... The fact that you're willing to put yourself out there in spite of is amazing and it inspires me because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people say parents who do advocacy on a national level that we're exploiting our kids or we're trying to be famous and nobody really wants to put themselves out there and then get the negative backlash or the potential for violence. And I just, I look at you and I look at how you use your voice and your platform and your space to create space for others. And so I'm always appreciative of that. Thank you, that means a lot. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on episode four. Thank you, thank you. Any final- Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. No, you know, just stay positive for, you know, if there's anybody out there that is going through something, they feel like they're not enough, just know that you are enough. You do have a journey to go on. Live your best life. Live your best life. They can try to put you down, but you don't stay down. You get up. You dust yourself off. You try again. You go after what's yours. Go after what's yours. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Blossom. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a great one. You too. I enjoyed myself. You too. Bye. Bye.